Hi, and welcome to Filled with His Love. A journalist once asked President Hinckley to name Joseph Smith's greatest contribution. Without hesitation, actually, President Hinckley responded, quote, He taught us the true nature of God. End quote. He then referred to the first vision where God the Father called Joseph by name and then introduced Christ by saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. The Holy Ghost, a personage of spirit, permitted Joseph to see these two separate eternal beings. In this week's Come, Follow Me, we review the scene in Matthew 3 when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the river of Jordan. And in Matthew 3, this is what it says, quote, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. End quote. So the Holy Ghost was present, and God the Father introduced his Son, just as he had in Joseph's vision. But then we have other scriptures that describe the Godhead as being three gods, and but they are one, or as historical Christianity calls it, the Trinity. Today I want to talk about what it means to be one. Most of us are probably familiar with Harry Anderson's painting of the Savior praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, in which he is kneeling by the slanted trunk of a gnarled olive tree. I remember seeing these olive trees in Jerusalem, clasping his hands and looking heavenward. This was the scene of his final prayer before being betrayed by Judas, judged by Pilate, and crucified by the Romans. Consider your own thoughts or feelings as you contemplate the scene depicted in the painting. What words best describe your thoughts and feelings? We live in a world that floods us with words. Every day, texts, emails, headlines, captions, a continual avalanche of words. Sometimes the words help us understand something new. Other times the words make life actually, I, I believe, more confusing. So I want to discuss with you a single three-letter word today, a very small word. So, and a word we all understand, word we use every day, that's all. Just this word, tiny little word, the word is one, O-N-E. That's it. And I am completely confident that we can all remember this word. But the brevity of this word belies its power. The word, only three letters, is scriptural. It's doctrinal. It embodies some of the most important truths of the Restoration. Consider the following phrases. One heart, one mind, one spirit, one soul, one body, one faith, one baptism, one fold, one shepherd, one God. As you review these phrases, notice the principles of the gospel that emerge when the word one modifies the noun that follows it. If I say the words mind or heart alone, you might think of many verses of scripture. But when I say of one heart and one mind, the idea of Zion likely comes to mind, an idea unique to the restoration. The phrases one fold and one shepherd may bring to mind the scene in the Book of Mormon when Christ appeared to the Nephites and told him that he had, quote, other sheep, which were not of the fold of the Nephites. 
but that there would be one fold and one shepherd. Even more compelling is the phrase, one God. Historically, Christianity has a different notion of what that means. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we know that it refers to three separate beings, united in purpose and mission. Now, before returning to the Savior in Gethsemane, let's consider the placement of the word, one, in the word atonement. When we encounter the word atonement, we may not think first of the word one, but it is central to the all-encompassing doctrine of the atonement. Christ's sacrifice in the garden and his death on the cross were all aimed at helping us become, quote, at one, quote. In the prayer of all prayers, which I call it, in John 17, the power that caused him more pain and anguish than we can imagine, he asked his Father to help us become one. Quote, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. End quote. Notice the word one appears twice in these verses. It is the Savior's central thought and desire that we, through his sacrifice, could become one with him and his Father. Without the restoration, his plea would be confusing because we know that we cannot become one being, Christ is saying, in essence, please help all of these thy children, who are separate beings, just as we are, to become one, just as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. If we are to become one with God, the Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ, we might ask, so how do I do that? How can I become one with them and also become one with those I love? The Lord knew from before the world was that making and keeping eternal covenants was the only pathway to becoming one. The covenant is a two-way promise. We promise to do what the Lord would have us do, and He promises us blessings. Each time we make and keep a covenant, we become one with the Savior and our Heavenly Father. We are, in essence, answering Christ's prayer in Gethsemane. Each time we make a covenant, this is what is happening, that they may be one as we are. That is what we're doing. We're becoming one with them, God the Father and the Son, just as they are in each other. After we make a covenant, we renew it every Sunday in what I like to call the ordinance of all ordinances, the sacrament. It is during these sacred moments each Sabbath day that we symbolically take Christ within us. When Jesus said, quote, I in them, he knew that this ordinance would help us know what he meant. We symbolically take within us his flesh and his blood, all so that we can become one with him. I urge you to reread chapters 11 through 26 of 3 Nephi. In these chapters, we read of Christ's visit to the Nephites following his resurrection. He first teaches them, then he prays, much as he prayed in Gethsemane prior to his crucifixion, that we might be one with each other and with him and his Father. Directly after that prayer, Christ institutes the sacrament, showing how essential this ordinance is to the whole process of becoming one. Then he launches the gathering, missionary work, and finally, 
establishes the church. In essence, really, the whole gathering and the establishment of the church is an effort to help us all become one with each other. These chapters show us how we can all become an answer to Christ's prayer in Gethsemane. The people progressed from covenant to covenant, ordinance to ordinance. Then finally, at the end of the chapters, the people became one with each other so that Zion could be established. So that's it. That's my message today. And it's all contained in a single three-letter word. One. I know that the more we become one with each other and with God, the happier we will be in this life and throughout eternity. It's all about attachment. It's all about being filled with His love. I bear witness that as we reflect on the Savior's prayer in the garden, even for a moment, we will draw closer to Him. And He will draw closer to us. And we will all draw closer to each other. His plea shows how much He loves us and how much our Heavenly Father loves us. I testify of their love. I feel it every day. I know their love never changes. I know that we can all become one. It's great to be with you, and look forward to seeing you next time.